interval. Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today. Whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5, we are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. Good morning, Flat Creek. Let's try that again. Good morning. I hope you are doing well today and certainly want to just say thank you for being a part of Flat Creek Baptist Church today. And we can think of no better way at Flat Creek on Sunday mornings to start our Sunday morning services than to celebrate the ordinance of baptism. Uh, this year, now Flat Creek, get ready for this. This year, uh, we have baptized 57 people. Uh, and today we come to baptize one more, our newest sister in Christ. Y'all give a big hand for Ms. Lauren Galt. Y'all give a hand to her today. Truly a special moment to be able to stand here in the water with Lauren. I first met her and her husband, Jimmy, through the FCA ministry at uh, West Hall High School. And over the last year, just kind of got to know them through that. But then suddenly, they started coming to Flat Creek Baptist. And they became members and have been faithful to our 830 service for about a little bit over a year now. Uh, Lauren and Jimmy both serve in various ministries, even becoming members of the church and even serving in Vacation Bible School. Uh, last week, it was amazing to me. Uh, I got a phone call from Lauren, and uh, she said, Pastor, um, I'm going to try to get through this without crying. Uh, she said, but I've been running for a long time. And she said, for weeks, you've been saying somebody here needs to get saved. Somebody needs to get saved. And she said, you've been talking directly to me. And she said, on my way to work this morning, I couldn't run anymore. And I had to just stop and give my life to Christ as I was driving down the road. Amen. Y'all give her a big hand today. And so it is my honor to be able to stand here today with you, Lauren. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Then it is my pleasure to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a great way to start the service this morning. Listen, we're going to ask you now, just right there where you are, Brother Stephen and the praise team, Brother Caleb, uh, they're going to lead you in a song entitled, His Mercy is More. And, and here's what I want to say to you. This is an invitation, okay? Uh, you might have saw Lauren up here and over the last couple weeks saw many people in these waters getting baptized. And maybe you personally have never given your life to Christ. But the great invitation of Scripture is found throughout. Come, just come to the waters. Come to the waters and drink, you who are thirsty. And so as they sing this song, His Mercy is More, I pray that you would examine your own heart to see if the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you. Brother Caleb. 
praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness through every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. could remember no wrongs we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts not their sum thrown into the sea without bottom or shore our sins they are many his mercy is more would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost we stood neath the dead we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is
We are so thankful for you joining us today for worship at Flat Creek Baptist Church. If you are joining us for the very first time, if you look right there in the back of your pews, you're going to find a lot, uh, an envelope holder, and in that envelope holder, you're going to find a connections card. And if you could please turn that connections card in as you leave today, outside the double doors, you're going to see a connections tent just to your right. Turn that in. That's our way to connect with you during the week. Also, we have a free gift for you. Uh, this is just something for you to be uh, to commemorate your being here at Flat Creek Baptist Church, and it'd just certainly be a great joy to be able to come alongside of you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to continue our time of worship this morning with a time of fellowship. This is a time for you to shake the hands of those around you as we sing how deep the Father's love for of a season is it at Flat Creek right now? We've baptized what for the third Sunday in a row? It's really exciting. It's so much fun. But listen, we must, we really have to take a moment and just stop. And I, I hate when worship leaders do this. So I, I, I promised I would never do this. But can we, can we try something? If you have room around you or maybe in the aisles, you can certainly come to the front. 
But as we sing this song, the choir sung it, the band sung it, it's the first time we've sung it all together. Can we maybe try to kneel? Kneel as we sing it. Let, uh, we, we got time, so let's find a spot. And if you're able to, or if you just want to sit down, that's fine as well. But let's just at least start the song kneeling. Can we try that this morning? And let's sing it together. Let's sing right here. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, Oh. 
join me for a time of prayer this morning and as we pray together what a uh, what a visual demonstration that was all of us uh, on our knees before the throne of God not worshiping for the applause or the accolades of man but instead just raising our hands bowing our knee before our Savior the one who hung on Calvary's cross for our sins. I thank you, Lord, for the leadership of Brother Caleb Lang, who isn't afraid to do something a little unconventional. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the saints of Flat Creek that also aren't afraid to just unashamedly worship you. Some, that, that's very, uh, very outward, the hands raised, the, the dancing, the, the shouting. And for others, it's just a very private thing. It doesn't matter. It's the posture of the heart. You don't look at the outward appearance. You look at the inner person. Amen. And I'm thankful, God, today that, that we are surrounded by saints who have been born again, who have been set free, made new, and that we get to worship together. Uh, Lord, this is just a, a microcosm of what heaven will one day be. We come in here and we experience this for an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday. But we have eternity to look forward to. And I, I can't wait to stand before you one day to sing your praises, to serve you for all eternity, to cast crowns at your feet. What a joyous day that's going to be. Father, I come before you today on behalf of our church family. Many today are grieving. Uh, Crystal Gravitz's father passed away this week. Jenny Millwood's brother passed away this week. And just heard this morning of uh, a member of Marsha Jones' family passing away this morning. And so there are many, Lord, today that are grieving. There are many that have come in with other burdens. It might be an addiction. It might be marital strife. It might be a wayward son or daughter. It might even be just a personal just wrestling within of where they stand with you. Whatever the case may be today, Lord, you tell us in your word to come before you, to cast our cares upon you, to lay it all at your feet, and that's what we do. And Lord, before I close this time of prayer, Lord, just... I myself, Zach Williams, uh, Lord, I, I just, not in any sort of prideful way, not because I, I, I want to seek any sort of recognition, just because I'm you, I, I'm talking to you, uh, my heavenly father. I, I just want to repent before you. 
Lord, because I know that there are things in my life um, every single day that constantly create a, a divide between me and you. But I'm thankful to be standing in grace, thankful for the Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, I'm just begging for your forgiveness today. Worthy is the Lamb. We're going to invite everybody here today to stand with us and to sing this wonderful song as we prepare our hearts for the preaching of the Word today. Worthy is the Lamb if you'll stand to your feet.
Thank you so much. You may be seated. What a wonderful time of worship we've had today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Caleb and Praise Team for leading us today. If you are here this morning between the ages of kindergarten and fifth grade, Miss Breeze and the children's workers are going to meet you right here behind the piano, and you can hand, head that direction now. If you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Romans, chapter number five, the book of Romans, chapter number five. We're going to continue our walkthrough of the book of Romans this morning. I just praise God. You know, every Sunday we come in here and we gather together and we get to worship together. And uh, you guys, you come for the 830 service or the 11 o'clock service and it's always so good. But you know, being the pastor, I get to live it twice. <laughs> and, and what I'll say to you is it's always amazing to me how... As much as we strive to make sure that we are identical in, in kind of our song selections and those things so that we're not creating two different churches, it's amazing to me how each service takes on just its own life, how the Spirit just knows who's in the room and moves and just the way He desires. And uh, today was extremely special. I just praise God for that time. That we had. I want to bring you a message today entitled The Blessings of Justification, part number three. This is something we've been looking at now for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue uh, into next week as well. Uh, but I want you to listen today to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, as we continue this walkthrough of the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word today. It was just about three weeks ago or so, four weeks ago, uh, that I had the privilege to travel to Alaska with 38 brothers and sisters in Christ from Flat Creek Baptist Church. Thank you, Miss Kay. You were there. Amen. Uh, about four weeks ago, I guess it was, we embarked on a Sunday morning journey to climb what is known as Byron Glacier, which is just outside of Anchorage, Alaska. 
Now you're going to begin to see some pictures popping up on the screen here of this amazing hike up to the top of this glacier. Now as we were climbing a few weeks ago, we had one purpose in mind. We climbed with the hope to find a place where we could stop and worship God corporately. And finally, after climbing for a little bit over an hour, we found a spot on the glacier where we felt we could stop, we could read the scriptures, we could pray, we could worship, and we could preach the word of God. And as we were standing there on the slopes of the Byron Glacier, as a matter of fact, it was precisely the moment that Brother Isaac began to read the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter number 5. I was kind of standing off behind him, and as I was standing there, I just kind of began to do a 360-degree turn. I was just taking in all the sights that I was seeing before me. And what amazed me that day is that no matter what direction I looked, the beauty was absolutely amazing. On one side, you saw these monstrous snow-covered peaks in the distance. On the other side, you saw this, this enormous peak with a huge frozen glacier coming down its sloped side. And there where we were standing was this amazing pristine river that was just flowing. It was unmitigated beauty. It's truly hard for anybody to stand in a place like this and not worship God. It's truly hard for somebody to stand in a place like this and not realize that there is a God. Amen. Friends, here's what I want to say to you today. As I have studied the book of Romans and as we have walked through this amazing book of the Bible together, I feel like I'm standing atop the Byron Glacier. When we began our ascent into the book of Romans and into the terrain of what Paul was writing in this letter, we knew there was going to be beauty to behold. But we weren't quite sure what amazing things we would discover. But along the way, we have crossed the rugged terrain of God's wrath and the depravity of man. We've navigated those windy and rugged paths of man's inability to save himself. We've walked through that dark valley of, of seeing just how sinful we are in the eyes of God. As the Bible says, there's none good, none righteous, no, not one. And we have turned the corner. And we've begun to, to climb these slopes of, of the gospel and the doctrine of justification. And as we've climbed these slopes, this amazing terrain, we have stopped to stare week after week. And no matter what direction we look, there's beauty all around us. For some of you, it has stirred a revival in your hearts. For others, it has caused a spiritual awakening. You've been called forth from the slumber of death into the uh, into spiritual life. And for others, it's just created in all of us this this spirit of highest praise. And each and every week as we stand here and look at this book, it's, it's this idea that it, it can't get any better. I mean, it's so beautiful. It's so pristine. There's, there's no way Paul could write anything better than what we studied last time. And then we open up the book. And when we open up the book, we find that this is just an inexhaustible canvas to behold. 
is only getting more and more beautiful as we continue to climb. The blessings of justification are flowing just like that river that we stood next to atop that glacier just a few weeks ago. It's so beautiful and it's so pure. Just think of the blessings that we've talked about. In verse number one, we found that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who are born-again believers, you are no longer at war with your Creator. For every ounce of God's wrath was satisfied on the cross of Calvary for the believer. Not only that, the second blessing of our justification is that through Christ, we have received access to God. Jesus said, John 14 and verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this text is actually Paul's affirmation of that truth. Through Christ and Christ alone is a person reconciled to the Father and able to stand in the throne room of grace. Last week, we looked at the third blessing of our justification, and that is hope of the glory of God. Verse 3 through 5, because of the finished work of Christ, for those of us who are believers, our future is secure. Heaven is the confident expectation of the believer. Therefore, no matter what comes upon us down here, we know that soon and very soon, as the old song said, we are going to meet the king. We will be released from this world to enjoy what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, but what God has prepared for those who love him. These are all blessings which are flowing out of your justification. And what Paul is really trying to do here is to give us an assurance, an assurance of our salvation that we might know who we are in him. And friends, as you begin to grasp the assurance of your salvation and the work of God in your life, I want you to understand that, that if you can just get a hold of these blessings, it's going to change everything about your life as a Christian. J.C. Ryle once said, now assurance goes so far to set a child of God free. It enables him to feel that the great business of life is a settled business. The great debt, a paid debt. The great disease, a healed disease. And the great work, a finished work. And all other business, diseases, debts, and works are then by comparison small. In this way, assurance makes him patient in tribulation, calm under bereavement, unmoved in sorrow, not afraid of evil tidings, and every condition content, for it gives him a fixedness of heart. It sweetens his bitter cups, it lessens the burdens of his crosses, it soothes the rough places over which he travels, and it lightens the very valley of the shadow of death. It makes him feel always that he has something solid beneath his feet. And something firm under his hands. A sure friend, by the way, and a sure home at the end. Amen? Amen. These blessings just continue to flow as we come to Romans 5 today. The fourth blessing. We touched on it last week. And, and we're going to go deeper into it toward the end of this message. But I, I want to bring it out to you now. This fourth blessing, which is the knowledge of the love of God. The knowledge of the love of God to bring up Alaska again. I told you this two weeks ago. I'll never forget when we walked into those homeless camps and our youth just began to sing the song. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Those folks in the homeless camp of Alaska, they had never heard that song. They knew nothing of the love of God. But here what the Bible tells us is that through the Holy Spirit, verse 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Now, you might remember that last week I told you that it's, it's almost like Paul's building a tower. Uh, on the bottom, he's laid this foundation of justification. And then he's come with one level higher and said, peace with God, access with God, hope in the glory of God, and now the love of God being poured out into our hearts. When he talks about peace with God and access with God, he says this is how you gain it, by faith. When he spoke of the glory of God, he says it comes in hope. And now he mentions the love of God being poured out in our hearts. Now, did you catch what he did there? He mentions three words, faith, hope, and love. Just like the end of 1 Corinthians, chapter verse number 13, when Paul writes, now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now Paul is going to lay this next level on this tower that he's been building. And what a capstone it is. The love of God being poured out into the heart of the believer. Friends, just like that, that beautiful, pristine river on top of that glacier that just keeps running and running and running and never ends. So it is with the love of God. It is continually poured out upon us as believers. And not just being poured out, but experientially the knowledge of it. I mean, friends, think of this for a moment. What did you know of the love of God the day you were saved? For me, I knew the very basics. I knew John 3, 16. As a matter of fact, that's the verse that saved me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That was enough. That was all the love of God I knew. That was all the gospel I needed at that moment for me, a lost sinner, to come to Christ. But my, oh my, friends, as I have grown in my relationship with the Lord, I now ponder other verses pertaining to the love of God. And I realize just how vast the scope of his love is. Psalm 103 verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. How many of you are thankful today for the steadfast love of God? He mentions that steadfast love in Psalm 103 17, Psalm 136 26. But Paul elaborates on that steadfast love in Romans 8, 38 and 39. There he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor higher depth nor any other thing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That steadfast love. Nothing will separate you. He goes on to say in Titus 3, 4, and 5, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. 
And when we think about the mercy of God and the love of God, who can go further without mentioning 1 John 4, 9 through 10? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, revealed to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And if all that's not enough, Revelation 1, 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Friends, this is not all the scriptures pertaining to the love of God. There are hundreds across the pages of the Bible. These are just some of my favorites. You know, I suppose that a study of the love of God would be so vast that one could spend their entire life on earth studying the subject and never penetrate the surface of just how deep his love actually runs for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul clues us in in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, that the love of God is so vast and so amazing that it is more than our finite minds can comprehend. Listen to what he prays in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and that you, believer, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God did you notice what Paul prayed he prayed that we might be rooted and grounded in love and that we somehow might be able to grasp that which he says surpasses knowledge that somehow we might be able to comprehend the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. Now you go back to Romans 5 verse 5, and what does Paul teach us here? He teaches us that the knowledge of the love of God is actually accessible to the saints. He just prayed in Ephesians that we might be able to comprehend it. And back in Romans 5, he tells us that that love is constantly being poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How does one come to know the love of God? Through the Holy Spirit. And friends, that's the blessing of justification number five. Is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He is the fifth blessing of our justification. Now before we look at the Holy Spirit this morning, I, I want to just point out to you one thing that if you read these first 11 verses, you will come to find that all three members of the Trinity are involved in your justification. In verse 1, 2, 5, 8, 9, 10, and 11, God the Father is mentioned. 
In verse 1, 2, 6, 8, 9, 10, and 11, God the Son, or Jesus Christ, is mentioned. And there in verse 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, friends, this is actually important. All three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were actively involved in your justification. And they continually continue to be actively involved in your sanctification. There was never a time in eternity past, nor will there ever be a time in eternity future when any one member of the Trinity will be at odds with another member of the Trinity. They have been and always will be of one heart, one mind, working for one purpose, the glory of God and the salvation of sinners. Therefore, we can take Paul at his word. When Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's speaking of the fullness of God. If God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit be for you, what enemy on earth stands a chance against you? But friends, unfortunately, we live in a day where the Holy Spirit is all but forgotten in most Christian denominations. On the same note, there are Christian denominations who have misrepresented the Holy Spirit, leading to a misunderstanding of who he is, and all the while creating a fear inside of non-charismatic churches of the ramifications if the Holy Spirit actually did show up. One writer said, Brethren, it seems to me to be of very utmost importance in this period of the church's history that the proportion between the church's teaching as to the work of Christ on the cross and as to the consequent work of the Spirit of Christ in our hearts should be changed. The fact that so many of us seem to imagine that the whole gospel lies in this, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures and have relegated the teaching that he, by his Spirit, lives in us if we are his disciples to a less prominent place has done enormous harm. Not only to the type of Christian life, but to the conception of what Christianity is, both among those who receive it and amongst those who do not accept it, making it out to be nothing more than a means of escape from the consequences of our transgressions instead of recognizing it for what it is, the impartation of a new life which will flower into all beauty and bear fruit in all goodness. Friends, all of us need today, today need to remember that we do not fear, have to fear the Holy Spirit. Instead, we need a fresh understanding of who he is. Now, I, I do not aim to give you a doctrinal dissertation this morning on the Holy Spirit. However, I will say a few things about him that you might want to write down that will just kind of help you as you move forward in your walk with Christ. He says the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So number one, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is the one who was promised by Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who was promised by Jesus. John 14, he tells the disciples not to be troubled, not to be weary, not to be worried. And then he says in John 14, 16 and 17, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He will be in you. He's promised to the believer. Now you will notice the 
use of the pronoun he in referring to the Spirit. Let me remind you that the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. He is a person just as much as God the Father and God the Son are persons. God the Holy Spirit is actively at work in the believer. He's the one who came on Pentecost as prophesied by Joel in the Old Testament, Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place. And suddenly they came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. We also know that he indwells believers now. Listen to what Romans 5, 5 says. He has poured out this love within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was, past tense, who was given to us. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer the moment of salvation. There's not a second baptism. There's not a baptism by fire. Titus 3, 5 says he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is another word for being born again. Well, when is a person born again? The moment they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. The moment you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we know his indwelling acts as a guarantee of our salvation. When we talk about assurance, listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. He says, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, the seal carries it with it, the idea of a document being sealed by the king in Old Testament times. When a document was sealed by a king, it was sealed with his signet ring. And what he signed, that law, that covenant, whatever it was, was irrevocable. It could not be reversed. It could not be annulled. It could not be changed. Once it was sealed, once the imprint of the king's signet ring was upon it, it stood. And Paul says, you have been sealed. Literally, the imprint of God is upon you. Amen. Nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing on earth can annul it. Nothing can change it. Nothing can reverse it. For you are standing in grace. Amen. We also know that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us certain spiritual gifts also creates in us certain spiritual fruits. But I want you to listen to this next one. This is where it really gets good. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit enables us to know the mind of God. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 through 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who amongst men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 
which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Listen, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we, speaking of believers, we have the mind of Christ. Not only does his indwelling enable us to know the mind of God, but finally it enables us to know the heart of God. Specifically, the love of God. His love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is within us. Like living water that never runs dry, it is continually poured into the heart of the believer. Now notice when Paul mentions this love of God. He mentions it on the heels of tribulation in verse 3 through 5. Tribulation produces endurance, endurance, proven character, proven character, hope. This hope will not disappoint. For the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why does Paul mention the love of God on the heels of tribulation? Well, friends, it's precisely because there's no time like tribulation that will cause you to question the love of God. You'll feel closer to him, but also in those moments, you're going to be asking that question, does he really love me? And if he loves me, why would he let me go through all of this? John Piper writes that Paul addresses two threats to the assurance of our salvation. One was that our faith might be found fake. The fire of tribulation is a gift to prove us and show us that we are real believers. But the other is that the object of our faith might be fake. What if we make it through tribulation with proven faith and growing hope and in the end find that that hope proves to be built on sand? We thought God loved us, but it turns out he didn't. Listen to what Paul does here. Because as he's talking about the pouring out of the love of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, he's about to remind us that no matter what you go through, just in case you begin to question it, just in case you have forgotten, or just in case you don't know, Paul says, let me remind you of just how much God really does love you. For while we were still helpless, the word in the Greek is the word astenos. It means to be sick or feeble, impotent or helpless. For while we were still helpless, perhaps the most vivid word picture that we have of, of, of the believer before salvation is actually found in Ezekiel 16, where God speaks to the prophet about the condition spiritually of the nation of Israel the day he chose them. What does he say there in Ezekiel 16? God says, as for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No, I looked with pity on you. No one had compassion on you. Whether you were thrown out into the open field 
and you were bored on the day you were born. Paul, speaking of the covenant people, truly speaking of us in our spiritual condition, like a newborn baby that's left in an open field that cannot help itself. God says, that's who you were. I mean, what a vivid word picture. As we think about all we've learned in Romans, we have heard it time and time again. You cannot save yourselves. You are helpless. You are lost in your sin, left to your own devices. You will create idols and bow down and worship them. You will plunge further and further into darkness, denying the truth, storing up wrath of God against you. You will create religions and seek to work your way to him, but your works will never save you. Neither can religious rights, neither can ethnicity. You are helpless. And what Paul's doing here is he's beginning to contrast the love of God to the love we have for other people. See, today, Summer and I are celebrating our 18-year anniversary. Yeah. Praise God. Hey, it just... It just proves one thing she has the gift of long suffering amen <laughs> but I think about the day I think about the day I met her I mean I can go back to the place in my mind I met her on April the 4th of 2004 and truly the moment I saw her I said that's the woman I'm going to marry I went upstairs and called my cousin on the phone and said man my wife just walked in the door and he said, what are you talking to me for? I said, good question. But what was it that attracted me to her the day I met her? It was her physical beauty. But then as I got to know her, I actually began to love her for her inward beauty as well. You see, we as humans, we are naturally attracted to beautiful people. Naturally attracted to beautiful things, but we aren't naturally inclined or attracted to filth. We aren't naturally inclined to that which is dirty and despicable, yet God, seeing us for who we really are, for some odd reason, is attracted to us. Sick, feeble, impotent, and unable to save ourselves. For while you were still helpless at the right time, some of your translations might say at the appointed time. You might remember as we walked through the book of Genesis, we took a long time to look at all of those genealogies across the book of Genesis. And there was there's always this one primary focus as we look through those genealogies, that God was always tightening the window. He was always narrowing the focus from Adam to Seth, from Seth to to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Judah, Judah to David, David to Solomon, Solomon to Jesus. Throughout Old Testament history, God was always tightening that window saying, through this family, through this person, the Messiah will come. But furthermore, as we walk through prophecy, we find that God is always pointing toward a specific time. A specific time that would be just right for the Messiah to come. He couldn't come at just any time. He had to come at the right time. Spurgeon says of the right time that this means that the death of Christ 
occurred at a proper period. He said, I cannot suggest any other period in time which have been so judiciously chosen for the death of the Redeemer as the one which God elected, nor can I imagine any place more suitable than Calvary. Outside the gates of Jerusalem, there was no accident about it, Spurgeon says. It was fixed in the eternal purpose and for infinitely wise reasons. We do not know all the reasons, and we may not pretend to know them, but we do know this, that at the time our Savior died, sin among mankind in general had reached a climax. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. Hebrews 9, 26, but now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Friends, Jesus was keenly aware of his mission. Three specific times across the Gospels, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priest, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise three days later. He knew his mission, but he was always pointing at a specific hour. There was an hour he was walking toward. Throughout the Gospels, you see, it is not my hour. It is not my hour. It is not my hour. John 13, when Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, when everything was just as it needed to be at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. The word in the Greek for ungodly means non-worship. And the ungodly are highlighted in Romans 1, 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. The ungodly, Christ... Generally, he died for the entire world, all the ungodly. But specifically, he died for the church. Who's Paul addressing here in Romans 5? He's addressing the church, those who have been justified by faith. And so what I want to exhort every person in the room to do this morning is to remember who you were before salvation. Remember that you and I were helpless, ungodly, and we will find in verse 8 that we were sinners. There was nothing good in us at all. Nothing attractive about us. I thought about it this week of how I might illustrate that point. And, and just being unattractive and God coming after us. And, and, and I thought about this story that happened to me when I was 16 years old. I had a friend growing up. His name was Jacob Gebhardt. Jacob had a sister named Chrisanna. And I'm talking, I mean, I knew these people my entire life. I met them at church when I was in the nursery. Chrisanna was one years older than me, and me and Jacob, we were the same age. And so I grew up with them. But Chrisanna was always that girl that was just a, a little bit odd. Well, her and Jacob were both odd. And I'm odd, so that's saying a lot. Um, but they were just always, just, they were just a little bit odd. Chris Anna, growing up, she was always picked on. She was always made fun of. Chris Anna, eight years old in third grade, she wore one of those huge metal retainers that come all the way around the back of your head. And, 
and it was in her teeth and and people were just, I mean, it was just, it was relentless. Everybody made fun of Chrisanna her whole life. And so when we were 16 years old, I came to church one Wednesday evening for a Wednesday night meal. And as always, I sat down with Jacob and Chrisanna and my brother, Willie, and we were all sitting around this table. And Chrisanna was talking about how she really wanted to go to the prom, but she had nobody to take her. And my brother, Willie, being the good guy that he is, said, Zach will take you. <laughs> <laughs> to which I responded, sure, I'll take you to the prom. But in honesty, I, I kind of said it in passing. I, I didn't really mean it at the moment. It was just kind of to, to kind of make her happy, you know, at that second. Well, I went home that night, and I'll never forget it. As I got home, I sat down in my recliner, and I started watching television, and the telephone rang, and it was her brother Jacob. Jacob said, Zach, Man, I heard you taking Chris Anna to the prom. And, and man, I, I couldn't be more happy that you're taking my sister to the prom. He said, my dad wants to talk to you. <laughs> so, Mr. Otto gets on the phone, and Mr. Otto, he says to me, he says, he says, Zach, I heard that you're going to take Chris Anna to the prom. He said, I can't thank you enough for taking my daughter to the prom. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy your tickets I'm going to pay for your tuxedo rental. I'm going to buy your dinner. I'm going to rent your limousine. All you have to do is take my daughter to the prom. And I said, well, Otto, let me think about it for a few minutes. And I hung up the phone. And I thought about it for a little while. And I'll never forget when I called Jacob back. Jacob said, hello. I said, hey, Jacob. He said, man, we sure are excited. Going to take my sister to the prom. And here's what I said. I'll never forget it. I said, Jacob. I can't take your sister to the prom. He said, why not? And I said, because I have a reputation. 16 years old. And this week as I thought about that story, I thought, you know, I'm sure I'm glad God isn't like me. I sure am glad that God didn't look at me a helpless, ungodly sinner and say, you know what? I have a reputation to keep. Instead, because of who he is. And because of his reputation as a God of love at the precise moment, Christ died for the ungodly. And furthermore, it's in that ungodly condition that he calls us to be saved. And so as you sit here today and you know what you know about holiness and righteousness as we have walked through the book of Romans, who in this room today can say, hey, I deserve salvation? None of us. Instead, friends, let us stand in awe that God saved us when we were the worst of the worst, when no one was attracted to us, seeing everything about us that was ungodly and helpless and sinful. He died for us. You'll notice in these verses 6 through 8, the word for, 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 for us. The doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus, our substitute. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for the world. He took your place. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fall. You expect death to happen immediately to them. But they don't die. Why? Because God provides a substitute. 
He clothed them with the skin of an animal. One did die. It wasn't then. It was a substitute in their place. Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac, a ram in the thicket, a substitute. Exodus, the sacrificial system is introduced. What is the basis of that? A substitute, one in your place, all pointing forward to the perfect lamb of God, God's perfect substitute, the one that John the Baptist would say, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For hardly will one die for a righteous person. A righteous person is that person who's righteous in the eyes of the world. They're the law-abiding citizen. It's a person who isn't a lawbreaker. If the speed limit is 55, they go 54. They never complain in airport security. They don't roll through a stop sign. They are righteous in the eyes of man. And rarely will someone die for a good person. Who's the best person you know? I say Jerry Sexton. I mean, Jerry is a good man. You might die for Mr. Jerry, but God proves his love for us. God demonstrates, presents his, his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. We weren't righteous, we weren't good, we were sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. It's a reminder that love is not stagnant, love is not still. God doesn't just say he loves us, he demonstrates that love. Agape love is what Paul's talking about here. It's the highest form of love known biblically. It is fully known only in the person of God. It's unconditional in nature and is seeking the best for the one love despite who they might be. Friends, our love differs so much from God's love for us. You see, we put conditions on our love. We say, I love you until you cross me. I love you as long as you don't break a promise to me. I love you as long as you fulfill the obligations that we agreed upon. But if you break those things, my love is going to stop there. But God puts no conditions on his love for us. He doesn't say, get yourself cleaned up, get yourself religious, then come to me. He doesn't say, wear this type of clothes, cut your hair this length, do all those things, then you will be acceptable to me. No, while you were a sinner, while you were the worst of the worst, he died for you. Amen. And so speaking of assurance, so while Paul gives that sixth blessing of justification, which is reconciliation with God, which is what we'll talk about next week. What does he say there in verse number nine? Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath of God through him. If God saved us in our sin while we were sinners, if he saved us in that dreadful state, will he not keep us now that we are justified? Are we not saved from the day of wrath? Absolutely. Why? Because he loved us enough to send his son to die for us. The blessing of justification. The knowledge of the love of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What a joy. What a joy this is, friends. These things just keep getting better and better, don't they? 
I mean, they make us stand in awe. Who can fathom such a great God? Who can fathom such a great salvation? Who can fathom such a great love? Heads bowed and eyes closed today. As we come to the end of our service together, there may be one, there may be multiple today in this room that as we talk about the love of God being shed abroad in your heart, maybe you've never given your life to him. But today is the day that you want to say yes to Jesus. You've heard the message, you realize that in your sin, Christ died for you. And like Lauren Galt, who earlier testified she was tired of running. Like Lynn Lee's last week, who said there was just something in me. I could just never get satisfied, but now I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today you've never been saved, but you want to make today the day of salvation. Would you just raise your hand right now? Anybody at all today need to give their life to Christ? We trust that all hearts are clear this morning. I want you to listen, Saint, as Brother Caleb, Brent, Ken, Miss Sandy, as they sing this wonderful song, The Love of God. This invitation time is just designed today as a time of personal reflection. I'm going to be right here at the front. If you do need to be saved, you come take me by the hand. But I want you to listen to the words of this song and just consider the love of God for you today. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pin can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest head. Thank you. 